The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Judge not, lest ye be judged. Advice that is eloquently simple and speaks to the heart of the matter. And yet, is it humanly possible to travel through life without making a single judgment? And what of those who are empowered by society to weigh the fate of others in the scales of justice and render the decision of life or death? Joe, I wish you wouldn't talk about it. Why not? They can't touch me. The cops can't touch me, baby. I'm above the law. Well, somehow they they might just find No, them. no, never. No, no way. I have the law 100% on my side. I mean, can you imagine? The law is on my side, finally. And the law says I can get away with murder. mystery drama, Matched Pair for Murder, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Arnold Moss and Christopher Tabori. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Tawny Lansdowne was named after two justices of the United States Supreme Court. And when he was little, he never wanted to be a fireman or a ball player like other small boys. He always wanted to become a judge. And he did. A very good one. With his snow-white hair and piercing blue eyes, he even looks like a judge. And so you might ask, what's his problem? We'll get to it before long, but first... Let us concern ourselves with what caused it. All right, all right. The world isn't coming to an end. Now, Mr. Stroud, you've gone and lost your key again. Good evening, Mrs. Harp. What are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be in Chicago? Well, do you want me to fix you something to eat? Hmm. Would you, Mrs. Harp? Well, a bullion egg with some dry toast. How about uh, sirloin steak? Rare. <laughs> Certainly. Some French fried potato. Oh, dream on, Mr. Strong. Do you have any apple pie? You take one bite of red meat and you're a dead man. And as for those sweets and starches, what's gotten into you tonight? You know Dr. Downing forbids you to touch any of it. Dr. Downing never forbid me to do anything. You must be thinking about my brother. Oh. Oh, it's you. Mr. Marvin Strong. Yes, it is I. The bad penny. That turns up once a month. I'd like to make it once a week. But my dear brother needs at least 30 days to simmer down after each of my visits. Don't you have any more pride than that, Mr. Stroud? Then what, Mrs. Harp? Then living off your brother's bounty. It's not my fault. If I was smarter than he is, 
He could live off mine. He isn't home just now. And did he leave the usual little envelope? I know nothing about that. Oh, come on, Mrs. Harp. I really don't know. Oh, I've never been able to get over it. It's like the two of you are one person. Same face, same voice. But when it comes to morals, you're as different as day and night. Do you realize, Mrs. Harp, I hear the same thing from you every month, word for word. I'm about to leave the house now. Tomorrow's my Thursday. Oh? Are you going to stay and wait for Mr. Stroud? I'm afraid I'll just have to. I'm too uh, financially embarrassed. When uh, did my brother say he'd be coming back? Sometime this evening. Well, you don't have to postpone your leaving on my account. I'll just make myself at home here. I'm sure you will. Melvin Stroud. This is my house. Who's the dead man? My, uh, my brother, Marvin. My twin brother. Where is he? Right through here. In my den. You can see. He's dead. Let me get that telephone. Tell me what happened. I don't know. I came home just a few minutes ago. I walked into the library here... And I saw my brother Marvin lying on the floor. Just like that. Does he live here? No. He's come to visit me. He does that once a month. Place looks torn up. Hello. This is Lieutenant Lewis. Uh, hold it a minute. Mr. Stroud. Has anything been taken? I don't know. Oh, who bothers to think at a time like this? Offhand, it does look like a robbery. Now, does anything seem to be missing? Yes. The silver tray on my desk. And look, the painting is hanging down. Uh, that's my wall safe. Has it been opened? No, no. I can see it's locked. Only I know the combination. Oh, my Lord. What is it? Poor Marvin. The thief, uh, the robber must have thought it was me. Uh, we're twins. He must have insisted that Marvin open the safe. Uh, Marvin couldn't do it. And so the fellow killed him. Hello, Gus. It's a robbery and homicide. Man's dead. Get over here and start the routine. The sign there says you buy old silver. Oh, yes, sir. At Porkins and Perry, you can expect the highest prices. Uh, well, let me show you what I got here. Uh, this tray, a little pot and a pitcher. Well, now, that is a fine-looking tea set. <laughs> it sure is. I must ask you for proof of ownership. Well, it's a family heirloom. Could you uh, identify yourself? Well, what do you want to see? Uh, my driver's license? Sure. Mr. Joseph Talley. Oh, but you're from out of state. Well, what what else can I show you? Do you know anybody in town who can vouch for you? Well, yeah, sure. I, I, I know Miss Marietta Winslow. Winslow? Is, uh, is she the daughter of the big real estate operator, Winslow? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the girl I'm going to marry. 
Yeah, this picture I clipped from the Sunday paper is the picture of the two of us engaged. I see. <laughs> now, about the silver. Oh, yes, 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 the silver. It's a most unusual piece, but heirloom, obviously, English. You could have something extremely valuable here. Let me check the hallmarks. Where's the... Oh, the book is in the back. Wait a second, I'll, I'll go get it. Hello? Hello? Is this the special police number for the Stroud murder? Well, I'm not sure that this is anything. The man is obviously a respectable person, but this silver tea service checks out exactly with the description you set out. <laughs> Porkins and Perry at the corner of Sixth and Maiden. Oh, yes. Yes, I can keep talking to him. You say you found the silver tea tray, Joe. Yeah, I found it, Lieutenant. Where? I told you, it was just lying on the street near the curb. You didn't by any chance find it in Mr. Stroud's library after you killed his brother. I didn't kill him. And I wasn't in his house. Footprints around the back match your shoes, Joe. Yeah, I wear an eight and a half D, and so do millions of other guys. We have witnesses that put you in the neighborhood. And, of course, you just did a three to five for armed robbery. That's right. I already did it. I paid the price. So that one's squared, isn't it? Tell me something, Joe. On the level now. How did you get that tea set? Oh, Joe. Joe, I thought all that was over. Finished. Behind you. Honey, it is. Believe me, believe me, it is. It, it, it's just a, I, I saw this package, and, and it, was, it was just lying there on the ground. Sure, I know. I, I should have picked it up and brought it to the police, turned it in. Yeah, but I, uh, I... Yes, Joe? I just weakened for a minute. Can you understand that? I can understand. I would never steal again. But I said to myself, I mean, this isn't stealing exactly. I'm just picking something off the street. I know it's crazy. I know it now. I wanted money to buy you something. An engagement present. Oh. And I saw this silver and I thought, oh. it was so dumb. What are, what are we going to do? The district attorney wants to go to trial. Yeah, I know guys like him. He figures I got a record. He can railroad me home for this thing. I don't know what got into me. But it's really only circumstantial evidence. Yeah, and that's what most evidence is. Honey, look, just just believe me. I'm innocent. Come on, tell me you believe me. Yes, my darling. I believe you. Session Judge Marshal Taney Lansdowne presiding. Please rise. And thus another one begins. Another play of human emotions that's more powerful than anything ever witnessed in the theater. How much comedy and tragedy have I presided over and conducted? Yes, that's the right word. 
The judge conducts a trial the way a maestro leads an orchestra and brings it subtly to his own conclusion. Well, now, what have we here this time? The People versus Joseph Walter Emmons. Yes, sir. Mr. Marvin Stroud arrived at the house at about seven that evening. I knew it was seven because I was getting ready to catch the 7.30 bus. I left him there alone in the house to wait for his brother, Mr. Melvin Stroud. I came home and I found the body of my brother on the floor in the library. It was about 10 p.m. I called the police. We entered the premises. We found the body of Mr. Marvin Stroud on the floor, as has already been attested to. You could see there was a bullet wound in the chest. Yes, sir. There were definite signs of robbery. The prosecution was laying the groundwork, and they seemed to have a pretty good case. I looked at the defendant. He had a record. He was, in my opinion, a bit too sleek and handsome, but... This must not be allowed to influence anyone's judgment. And then I noticed her. She was sitting as close to him as the law could allow. I've never seen such faith, trust, and love in a woman's eyes. She believed him. And this could have an effect on the jury if she made them aware of it. Yes, sir. He brought in the tray. You see, we're dealers in gold and silver, porkins and perry, at sixth and baited. It was exactly as described in the police circular. But naturally, I notified the authorities at once. I wasn't going to have any traffic in stolen goods. It was a strong statement. As he made it, I could see the words pierce right into the jury. The defense counsel didn't see fit to intervene. I saw it was time for me to take command of the trial. Mr. Porkins. Yes, your honor. At the time the tray was brought into your shop, did you know for a fact that it had been stolen? Well, your honor, I... Uh, you suspected that it might be stolen, however. Oh, yes, because it, it tallied pretty closely with the information on the circular. Well, earlier you said it tallied exactly. And now you say pretty closely. Well, what I bet was, Your Honor, it looked like it. But at the time you could not say for certain under oath that the tray had been stolen. Uh, no. No, Your Honor. Very well. You may proceed with your questioning, Mr. Dayton. Oh. must say it did not look too promising for the defendant. Mr. Joe Emmons was headed for a guilty verdict even at this early stage unless something happened. The defense wasn't doing too well even on cross-examination. Yes, I know the defendant. I was the arresting officer for his previous conviction. And that was a robbery, like this one, of a rich man's house. It wasn't getting better. The defense didn't have much of a case. Things were going steadily downhill when suddenly she jumped to her feet. He's innocent. 
I tell you, he's innocent. Now, miss, you must be seated. Oh, please, please listen to me. You'll be given a chance to testify at the proper time. But I must be heard now. I'm sorry, I must ask you to sit down. No one wants to believe him. Everyone's convinced Miss, I must ask you to... It's a matter of life and death. I know he's innocent. I know... Now, look, I told you, you'll have a chance to present your evidence. But I have no evidence. I just know in my heart... That he's innocent. Miss, I can sympathize with your feelings, but I cannot permit you to disrupt this trial. Unless you promise to sit quietly and be orderly, I'll have you barred from this courtroom. Do you understand? Yes, Your Honor. I understand. You may proceed with your questions, Counselor. And on that note... We shall proceed with our usual between-the-acts intermission. What we seem to have here is one of those open-and-shut trials where the defendant is obviously guilty. But who was it that said, Beware of the obvious. It is usually devious. We shall continue shortly. of a trial is to discover or construct what really happened. There is a welter of charges, countercharges, affirmations and denials, and from all this ferment, there rises the essence of truth. And what is truth? Isn't it odd? We may spend a lifetime looking for it, and when we finally encounter it, we may not even know it. Young lady, what are you doing in my car? Your Honor, I must talk to you. Oh, it's you. You want to discuss the case. I must. Well, that's impossible. Oh, please, Your Honor. And it's illegal, certainly highly unethical. I must tell you something. Only in court and on the record. I met him in jail. I was with a committee that tried to do things for convicts. I... We... It happens. We... We fell in love. Miss, I must ask you to get out of my car. He never had a chance. But I knew. A woman knows. Her heart tells her when a man is sincere. I know he's innocent. It would be awkward if I were forced to call a police officer. I'm right. I I know I'm right. And that's all I wanted to tell you. It was touching. And I didn't realize at the time how deeply I was touched. There was something about this girl, something so... so real, so genuine. You just knew she was telling you the truth. And when she was finally called as a character witness for the defense, you could sense how everyone wanted to believe her. I know how difficult it is for a man like Joe Emmons to be believed. It's so easy to classify... And reject him as an ex-con. But he's a human being. And he has changed. Of course he shouldn't have tried to sell the silver tray. But a man can't change all at once. Then and there, I set the direction. The jury instinctively wanted me to guide them. They tried to read me. Well, it wasn't difficult to get the hint and feel the drift. Yes. I saw a man coming out of the house that night. 
I didn't think anything of it at the time. I, uh, why should I? But I remember him very well. Yes, yes. It was the defendant. Let me understand this. You say you saw the defendant. Oh, yes, Your Honor. Well, where were you? I was across the street. It had to be the boulevard. Oh, y yes, sir. The, the boulevard. It's pretty wide in that neighborhood, isn't it? Oh, you could say that, Your Honor. And it was a dark night. Well, it had been raining. It just stopped. How far would you say it was from where you were standing to where you had seen the defendant? Oh, 50, 60 yards, maybe. About half the length of a football field. And at that distance, on a dark night, you could see him clearly. Well, it, uh, it, it looked like the defendant. Yeah, but that's not what you said before. You testified that you saw the defendant. Well, uh, it might have been the defendant. It's almost unbelievable. But all you need is just one little loose thread, and before you know it, the entire fabric begins to come apart. The fact is, in most trials, the jury believes those whom it wants to believe. And so, after I had charged the jury, they went out, and in time, it returned with a verdict that really surprised no one. We find the defendant, Joseph Emmons, not guilty. And that was that. I was convinced that justice had been done. A few weeks later... Your Honor, I'm Detective Lieutenant Lewis. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I remember you, Lieutenant Lewis. I, uh, I guess you heard about it from the DA. No, I haven't heard anything. I've been out of the country on vacation. There's nothing to be done about it anyhow. But we blew the Stroud murder case. What's that, Lieutenant? There's no other way to put it. There was a mistake. Well, whatever are you talking about? Joe Emmons is guilty. Well, not on the basis of the evidence presented by the district attorney. Well, that's just the problem. He didn't have all the evidence, especially the one piece that would have nailed the door shut. Joe Emmons' fingerprints. Well, why not? We found some of his prints in the library. Well, that would be undeniable proof that he was there. Yeah, but there was a mistake of some kind or other. It happens. And the prints just got mixed up. That's all. That's all? It got mixed up by accident, then it got straightened out by accident. But by that time, the whole trial was over. The DA says we're out of luck. Emmons was acquitted. If you try him again, it's double jeopardy. Is that right? It would seem to be. Oh, it kills me to see him get away with this. It would appear that he has... Sir, you're considered one of the top judges in the country. Yeah, I wonder. Could maybe something occur to you? Some kind of legal angle. Like what? Your Honor, if I knew like what, I wouldn't have to ask. Those were definitely his fingerprints. Yes, sir. No doubt. No question. Uh, let me think, Lieutenant. Maybe something will occur to me. Judge Lansdowne. May I come in, Miss Winslow, or have you become Mrs. Emmons? Soon. <laughs> Maybe not tomorrow, but soon. Oh, come in, Judge. You, uh, 
You love Joe. That's obvious. I want you to do something for him, for both of you. Will you? Of course. Joe murdered Marvin Stroud. Oh, I knew that. You knew that? He just told me. But the jury came up with a verdict of not guilty. So, he's out of it. Yes, I see. What do you see, Judge? A great deal. You took advantage of me, didn't you? Me? Oh, you're a marvelous little actress. <laughs> That's the way the world goes round, Judge. I had come here thinking that you might help me. To do what? Promise not to laugh. I promise. I wanted you to convince Joe to confess his guilt, waive his rights not to be tried under double jeopardy, and accept some sort of punishment for his crime. See? I kept my promise. I didn't laugh. You're a strange young lady. I did it to teach my father a thing or two. And I'm going to marry Joe Emmons because that'll destroy the old gentleman. And that's the only reason, hmm? Well, Joe's very good looking. I could do worse, even if he is stupid. Why did he have to commit that murder and get involved in that robbery? Oh, it's just that he gets carried away sometimes. Well, you certainly aren't planning a very happy life for yourself, are you? Well, well, we got a visitor. Hello there, Judge. Hello, Joe. The judge says you're guilty, dear. Uh, not according to the law. Isn't that right, Judge? Legally, right. But ethically and morally, wrong. <laughs> you can't have everything. I was hoping you could come forward, admit your guilt, and ask for some sort of punishment. Why would I want to do that, Judge? Because you happen to be guilty. You were there when the jury brought in the verdict. Why should I rock the boat? Well, for one thing, you'll be able to sleep at night. Oh, don't let that bother you, Judge. I always sleep like a log. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, what can happen? I know the law, Judge. I learned it the hard way. Well, I know something of the law myself. It's full of surprises. I need your help, Lieutenant. Me, Your Honor? What can I do? I don't really know. We'll have to break new ground. What does that mean? Well, right now, from a legal point of view, he's safe and secure. Well, if you're convinced of that, shouldn't this be the end of it? Yes, ordinarily. But I want that man set up. Your Honor, are you taking this personally? Absolutely. Well, things like this are hard to swallow, I admit, but it happens. You get a guy who committed a crime, everybody knows it. Sometimes you even see the blood on his hands. But he walks out of that courtroom a free man. Why? Because of a technicality in the law. Well, it's all my fault. He should have been convicted. Why do you say that, Judge? I could never explain it to your satisfaction, but... I want you to help me put this man away. Your Honor, I have to keep asking. How? See if we can unearth some new evidence. Well, maybe we could do that, but what's the use? No matter what we come up with, we still can't try him for murder again. Can we? Can we? On that legal point, we shall pause for our intermission... Let us briefly review. The legal situation seems to be clear. You can't be tried twice for the same crime. That would seem to be one of the basic support killers of our criminal justice system. But who knows what can happen when you get into a courtroom? We should find out in Act 3.
On the face of it, it seems a rather simple crime. But if you look beneath it, you are lost in a maze of complications. First, a judge who has succumbed to a sudden feeling of vulnerability. Second, a very spoiled, rich young lady who wishes to get back at her father for wrongs that are real or fancied or does it matter. Third, a rather stupid thief who could be sitting on top of the world but was unable to break a lifetime habit of crime. Fourth, a mistake in the police laboratory. And fifth, a law against double jeopardy. The pot is simmering nicely. What's the use of collecting evidence, Your Honor? He can't be tried again. You know that better than anybody else. Yeah, not for this crime. But maybe we can get him for another one. Yeah, well, that's going to be a long, hard road to travel. And we can't even be sure it could lead us anywhere. But you will help me, Lieutenant. I will. But you'll have to tell me how. How? Did I even know myself? The Lieutenant is right. Let it go. You win some, you lose some. But I'd lost a great deal more. I'd practically directed that verdict of acquittal. I had helped this man escape justice. I simply refused to sit back and do nothing. And so, grasping at straws... Yes? Oh, it's the judge. How do you do, Mrs. Hart? Oh, fine, sir. Would you care to come inside? Thank you. Mr. Stroud isn't home at the moment. That's all right. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Me? Oh, well, won't you sit down? No, what can I tell you about anything? I'm not sure. Mrs. Hopp, what happened here the night Mr. Marvin Stroud was murdered? What happened? Well, sir, he came here, like I told them, at about seven. Was he a frequent visitor? Oh, no, sir. Just about once a month to pick up his check. Well, what check was that? He was what the English, in all those stories I read, call a remittance man. He'd be paid off regularly just to keep away. Why? The two brothers were as alike as, well, the proverbial piece in the pod on the outside. Inside, you might say, Marvin, may he rest in peace, was a mass of corruption. Well, Mr. Melvin is the very soul of, I suppose you could say, righteousness. They were identical twins. Oh, yes, yes. I think that was mentioned at the trial. Anyhow, Marvin squandered his money in record time. Melvin kept on, keeps on, increasing his. And he kept supporting his brother, you say? Oh, yes. And I remember he would say to him, this will only be here for you while I am alive. When I'm dead, you won't see a penny, so mend your ways. Because all my money goes to a selected list of schools and foundations. You say they were diametrically opposed in personality and character. Without any doubt. Mr. Melvin had no use for poor Mr. Marvin. Poor Mr. Marvin? I think he was mentally sick, the way he carried on. But he would infuriate Mr. Melvin. That's a strong word. But it fits. There were times when Mr. Melvin would say to me, I could kill that scoundrel. Just because he disapproved of his brother's way of life? It went deeper than that. I think, well, I know, 
Marvin broke their father's heart. Mervyn could never forgive him. But still he supported him. Why? Because in the end, he would say, blood is thicker than water. Besides, Mr. Melvin could die at any time. Why? Well, he has these very bad ulcers. He's had a great many intestinal operations. But he would still become furious with his brother. Oh, yes, yes. He would rant and rave. But in the end, he would relent. And ah, uh, this is really all I can tell you. I hope it helped. I have a report here for you, Judge, on Mr. Melvin Stroud. Good. Uh, he's an investor. He's very well thought of, very rich, very moral, very ethical. Not a breath of scandal. Now, this is what I get from his associates. What else? What else can there be? This is the original straight arrow. Did anyone mention his having a temper? Oh, yeah, he could uh, explode, but... He'd always apologize and make up for it. In describing his temper, did anyone ever use the word violent? Violent? No, no, not not, not exactly, but uh, I, I did sort of get the impression that word could uh, sum it up. All right, let's try for another word. How about vindictive? How did he behave toward anyone who might have done him an injury of some sort? Uh, what did somebody say? He, he used your word. Melvin wouldn't exactly be vindictive, but he would always make sure that person paid for it in the end. Well, we may have a theory. Rich Melvin killed his brother, poor Marvin. Why? Well, he never forgave Marvin for breaking their father's heart. No, no, I don't think so. Well, why not? You've had murders committed for less, and Melvin was a man of sudden outbursts of strong temper. I'll give you all that, Judge. But you know as well as I do that Joe Emmons is the killer. Why do we know that? He was there. His fingerprints. Could we be talking about two separate and distinct crimes? Marvin comes on his monthly visit to collect money. Melvin loses his temper. He kills his brother. He leaves the house. He plans to return after a while and say he found the body. And he hopes we'll believe it was done by a robber. Two things. First, how about the gun? We he could have had a gun. I don't think so. He would have had to get a permit. He wouldn't want the publicity, a man like him. Therefore, he would have an illegal gun. Maybe. Well, then... By a coincidence, Joe Emmons happens along. He's had the place set up for a robbery. He may have cased it. He knows the housekeeper goes off Wednesday nights. He breaks in. He sees the body on the floor. He figures he'd better get out, but but first he picks up whatever he can find. Judge, you're giving me another coincidence. Well, life itself is filled with coincidences. Aren't people always leaving incriminating documents lying around? Yeah, sure, but why should Joe go around saying now that he beat the murder up? If he isn't guilty of murder, why should he admit to it? Well, because he... Because he's a punk. And this makes him a big man. Maybe, maybe. But I still say he's the killer. Do you really think Melvin did it? I don't know. It's just something to think about. Besides, it's the only other possibility. What are you saying, Judge? 
Mrs. Harp, I don't believe you told me the truth. I never told a lie in my life. Mr. Stroud would never tolerate a liar. Concerning Mr. Stroud, you've been helping him maintain a deception, haven't you? Judge, what are you trying to tell me? You've painted a picture of this highly moral, deeply religious human being. Is it possible that Melvin Stroud could have murdered his brother in a fit of temper? No, sir. I would swear to it. Well, then don't. We've had Mr. Stroud under surveillance. He gambles, he drinks. He's quite a man for the ladies. In a very discreet way, of course. That's impossible. Alcohol would kill him. I suppose he had you fooled too, Mrs. Harp. I had nursed that man through four separate operations. I know what's left of his stomach. If you don't believe me, just ask his doctor. Poor Mr. Marvin, maybe. But Mr. Melvin, never. Hello, Mr. Stroud. Why, it's Judge Lansdowne. What are you doing in a place like this? Oh, I was told I might find you here. You mean you're looking for me? <laughs> what for? Justice. What can I do for justice? Tell me how it happened. I don't follow you. It's a pretty clear trail. To begin with, you can't be Melvin Stroud. I spoke to his doctors. Melvin Stroud could never survive the pace of the life that you're leading right now. Oh, that? Well, I feel better. Let's say I've had a miracle cure. It would have to be a fantastic miracle. You know what it says? Believe and be saved. Of course. But no matter how strongly, no matter how deeply and sincerely you may believe... You can never get certain things back inside your body once they've been removed, such as a kidney, a gallbladder, and a few other things. What would your body reveal under x-ray? Now, I really need a drink. You might have carried it off had you also tried to live Melvin's kind of life. I'd sooner be dead. How did it happen? Oh, I... I'd come there for the usual handout. He wasn't home. I was hungry. And, uh, you know, there isn't a thing to eat in that house. They have tea and toast and eggs, period. I figured I'd go out and have a steak. And I did. When did you leave the house? About 7.30. I went to a place down the road. I came back about an hour later. So, you see, I have an alibi. If I need one. But nobody's accusing you of murder. I returned, and there he was, dead on the floor. The place had uh, been pretty well gone over. As I say, he was dead. There was no way I could help him, but I could still help me. So I just changed clothes with him, quickly, and let the world think it was Marvin Stroud who had been murdered. You actually thought you could get away with it? I almost did, didn't I? If only I could control my appetite for the ladies and the liquor. Your Honor, you've got me. Can I be prosecuted for anything? It won't be anything serious. And by the time we get it all straightened out, you may even get off. I was crazy to think I could carry it off. It's funny, the whole business. Here was my brother Melvin, straight as a guy... And he was sick and weak all his life. And me? <laughs> How 
how I lived it up. And I am as strong as a bull. How do you figure it, Your Honor? I don't know. Maybe it's part of a plan. What kind of plan? A way to create justice. Lieutenant Lewis, would you like to come with me? Where? To see Joe Emmons. Joe Emmons? What for? I've signed a warrant for his arrest. For what? Murder. What murder? The Stroud murder. But, Judge, we can't try him for that one again. I agree. I'd like to be with you when you arrest him. Judge, I sure hope you know what you're doing. Hello, Miss Winslow. What do you want? Is this the angelic Miss Winslow whose innocence and sincerity actually seduced me from my impartial duties as a judge? What do you want, Judge? Well, to come in for one thing. Is he home? He's in the other room. Do I detect signs of strain here? Is the romance wearing thin? Is the price of defying Daddy proving a bit steep? Well, I can't go running back now. Dear Daddy would never let me forget it. Well, maybe the lieutenant and I can come to your rescue. Tell Joe we'd like to see him. What for? Well, I think he should be the first to hear it. Joe, somebody here to see you. I sure hope you know what you're up to, Judge. Lieutenant, everything is in order. Well, look who's here, the law. Oh, a very big law at that. What can I do for you, Judge? Tell him, Lieutenant. Joseph Emmons, I have here a warrant for your arrest. For the murder... Lieutenant, you can't arrest me for that anymore. Arrest you and convict you. This time, the prosecutor will have the fingerprints that place you right there in the room. I got news for you, Judge. He could have a videotape showing me shooting Marvin Stroud, and you still can't try me for the murder. Well, you're not accused of murdering Marvin Stroud. He's not? Well, of course not. He didn't murder Marvin. Well, who did he murder? Read the warrant. For the murder of... Melvin Strong. Oh, but you can't. Double jeopardy says that It you... says nothing at all to help you here. It's a new corpse, a new case. Lieutenant, read him his rights. Yes, his rights. And they included his obligations as well which required him to stand trial before a jury of his peers who considered the evidence carefully and returned with the verdict of guilty, as you would expect. You may also expect me to return in just a few minutes. may be written in letters of fire or engraved in eternal stone. But whatever the words may say, they must receive an interpretation. And this can only come...
from a human being. Thus, we have the dilemma. A man who has all the human frailties is called upon to decide the absolute. A judge, after all, is no better a man or a woman than the rest of us. How, then, can we expect him to play the part of God? Our cast included Arnold Moss, Christopher Tabori, E.V. Jester, and Bernard Grant. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown.